He complies with the Apostle's advice in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Herein does the real Christian differ from the formalist. The presumptuous professor is filled with pride and having a high opinion of himself is quite sure that he has been saved by Christ. He disdains any searching tests and considers self-examination to be highly injurious and destructive of faith. That preaching pleases him best which keeps at a respectable distance, which comes not near his conscience, which makes no scrutiny of his heart. To preach to him of the finished work of Christ and the eternal security of all who believe in him strengthens his false peace and feeds his carnal confidence. Should a real servant of God seek to convince him that his hope is a delusion, and his confidence presumptuous, he would regard him as an enemy, as Satan seeking to fill him with doubts. There is more hope of a murderer being saved than of his being disillusioned. Another characteristic of saving faith is that it gives the heart victory over all the vanities and vexations of things below. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, our faith. 1 John 5, 4 Observe that this is not an ideal after which the Christian strives, but an actuality of present experience. In this, the saint is conformed to his head. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, John 16.33. Christ overcame it for his people, and now he overcomes it in them. He opens their eyes to see the hollowness and worthlessness of the best which this world has to offer, and weans their hearts from it by satisfying them with spiritual things. So little does the world attract the genuine child of God that he longs for the time to come when God shall take him out of it. Alas, that so very few of those now bearing the name of Christ have any real experimental acquaintance with these things. Alas, that so many are deceived by a faith which is not a saving one. Charles Hodge said, He only is a Christian who lives for Christ. Many persons think they can be Christians on easier terms than these. They think it is enough to trust in Christ while they do not live for Him. But the Bible teaches us that if we are partakers of Christ's death, we are also partakers of His life. If we have any such appreciation of His love in dying for us as to lead us to confide in the merits of His death, we shall be constrained to consecrate our lives to His service. And this is the only evidence of the genuineness of our faith. Unquote. Here are the things mentioned here actualized in your own experience. If they are not, how worthless and wicked is your profession? 
Jonathan Edwards said, It is therefore exceedingly absurd for any to pretend that they have a good heart while they live a wicked life, or do not bring forth the fruit of universal holiness in their practice. Men that live in ways of sin, and yet flatter themselves that they shall go to heaven, expecting to be received hereafter as holy persons, without a holy practice, act as though they expected to make a fool of their judge, which is implied in what the Apostle says, speaking of men's doing good works and living a holy life, thereby exhibiting evidence of their title to everlasting life, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6-7 As much as to say, do not deceive yourselves with an expectation of reaping life everlasting hereafter, if you do not sow to the Spirit here, it is in vain to think that God will be made a fool of by you. Unquote. That which Christ requires from His disciples is that they should magnify and glorify Him in this world, and that by living holily to Him and suffering patiently for Him. Nothing is so honoring to Christ as that those who bear His name should, by their holy obedience, make manifest the power of His love over their hearts and lives. Contrarywise, nothing is so great a reproach to Him, nothing more dishonors Him, than for those who are living to please self, and who are conformed to this world, should cloak their wickedness under His holy name. A Christian is one who has taken Christ for his example in all things. Then how great the insult which is done him by those claiming to be Christians, whose daily lives show they have no respect for his godly example. They are a stench in his nostrils. They are a cause of grievous sorrow to his real disciples. They are the greatest hindrance of all to the progress of his cause on earth. And they shall yet find that the hottest places in hell have been reserved for them. Oh, that they would either abandon their course of self-pleasing or drop the profession of that name which is above every name. Should the Lord be pleased to use this article in shattering the false confidence of some deluded souls, and should they earnestly inquire, then how am I to obtain a genuine and saving faith? We answer, use the means which God has prescribed. When faith be His gift, He gives it in His own way. And if we desire to receive it, then we must put ourselves in that way wherein he is wont to communicate it. Faith is the work of God, but He works it not immediately, but through the channels of His appointed means. The means prescribed cannot effect faith of themselves. They are no further effectual than 
as instruments in the hands of him who is the principal cause. Though he has not tied himself to them, yet he has confined us. Though he be free, yet the means are necessary to us. The first means is prayer. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. Ezekiel 36.26 Here is a gracious promise, but in what way will he accomplish it and similar ones? Listen. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. Ezekiel 36.37 Cry earnestly to God for a new heart for his regenerating spirit, for the gift of saving faith. Prayer is a universal duty. Though an unbeliever, sin in praying as in everything else, yet it is not a sin for him to pray. The second means is the written word heard, John 17.20 and 1 Corinthians 3.5 or read, Second Timothy 3.15, said David, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Psalm 119.93 The scriptures are the word of God. Through them he speaks. Then read them, asking him to speak life, power, deliverance, peace, to your heart. May the Lord deign to add his blessing. Arthur Pink. Study number six. Welcome tidings. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 34, 1. And why not? God changes not. Malachi 3.6 His eternal purpose of grace and His wondrous love are ever the same. True, I change. Yet in this matter I ought not, for I am bidden to rejoice evermore. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 True, circumstances may vary, yet faith has power to lift the heart above them, and often does so. But alas, not always. Shall I then make excuses for this? Nay, that would be sinful. Rather must I, with shame, confess my failure. The standard here set before us is to be ardently desired and earnestly striven after. I will bless the Lord at all times. All times include hard times, trying times, times of adversity. In every situation, under every circumstance, our lips should sow forth God's praise. In bright days of joy and in dark nights of fear, we ought alike 
to magnify the perfections of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, and makes them combine for good unto them that love him, giving thanks always for all things. Ephesians 5.20 That all things includes chastisements. How so? Because they are given in love. Hebrews 12.5 And are designed for the Christian's prophet. Hebrews 12.10 Ah, dear hearer, we ought to bless the Lord not only during hard times, but for them. Why so? Because they afford a suitable background upon which God's faithfulness and sufficiency may shine forth the more plainly. He can furnish a table in the wilderness and does so for his own. Moreover, we ought to bless God for what man terms hard times because of the golden opportunity they furnish us for the exercise of faith. Nothing is more honoring to God than this. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Romans 4.20 Contrarywise, nothing is more dishonoring to God than doubting and murmuring. Verily it takes a crisis to reveal how much faith or how little faith we really have. Praising the Lord is a wonderful antidote for doubtings and fears. None can really bless the Lord very long without his heart being lifted out of the bog of unbelief. Cultivate this spirit, dear brethren, and thus prove that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8, 10 Satan knows the truth of that full well and therefore does he seek to dampen and depress us. But we are not ignorant of his devices. Then let us meet his efforts to cast down our souls by presenting to God a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13.15 Nothing is more calculated to raise the heart above earthly trials and their gloomy tendency than to be occupied with the Lord and His goodness. Let us remember that because God changeth not, we have the same ground and cause to bless Him in hard times as in prosperous ones. As they have gone over what has just been mentioned, perhaps some of our friends have been reading between the lines and drawn the conclusion that the writer also is now feeling the pinch severely and is seeking to console himself, then let us assure you that there is nothing between the lines. Thank God our financial position is as good this year as in former ones. Praise be unto his holy name. There are no hard times with him who declares the cattle upon a thousand hills are mine. If the publishing of this little magazine be of the Lord, then until it has served his purpose, he will maintain it.
faith may be tested, but if it is genuine, God will not mark it. Oh, for more faith to His honor and praise. No, we felt that Psalm 34.1 was a fitting verse with which to begin our welcome tidings letter. As older readers will remember, once a year we seek to give some account of the grace of God in condescending to use these studies in blessing to some of His dear people. But ere doing this, we felt constrained to emphasize the force of this word, I will bless the Lord at all times. We heartily bless Him that in these so-called hard times He is faithfully supplying all our need. Our longing is that He will not only deign to use this magazine for the feeding of His sheep, but that He will also employ it to get unto himself a name and a praise in the earth, and to this end, that there may be a larger credit balance at the end of this year than in former ones. Oh, that many others may be encouraged to turn away from all worldly and fleshly ways of raising money and wholeheartedly trust in the living God. During the past twelve months, our hearts have been gladdened almost every day by letters from the scattered children of God testifying to the help received from the studies. How gracious of the Lord to grant such encouragement along the way. A brother in Kentucky writes, Thank you also for the magazine. I cannot begin to express what help and blessing we have received through the perusal of them. I have been reproved and convicted many times. Our prayer is that he will deepen his work of grace in you and so teach you experimentally that you may be able to teach others, that he will mercifully preserve you from all error and guide and help you in the preparation of every article, that he will bring you into touch with many more of his hungry people and Above all, that God's blessings may continue upon the ministry to His own glory and the good of His beloved saints. A brother in Pennsylvania writes, The incalculable help which I have derived from its Christ-exalting ministry, alas, so seldom heard today, has begotten likewise in me the desire to make known to others those glories which eternal years shall never all unfold. A brother in Minnesota. We can truly say we have benefited from your magazine, for which we praise our God and Savior, and also thank you for the wonderful truth of God's word, which we have been hungering for. Truly, we want to obey God's word, a brother in Texas, I want to thank you for the wonderful studies in Hebrews. Your letters have bred in me a desire to be a real man of God. I have gone over and over, marked and remarked the studies which you have been so kind to send me. 
I receive from them deep food, good strong meat, for which I thank God. A brother in Michigan. I would like to join with those who have been blessed and helped by your ministry through the printed page and express in this feeble way my thanks. I begin to see that more and more the flesh profiteth nothing. My prayer is, help me to be holy, O Spirit divine. Come, sanctify holy this temple of thine. Now cast out each idol. Here set up thy throne. Reign, reign without rival, supreme and alone. Now that is the influence your ministry has upon me by the grace of God. A pastor in Michigan writes, It is a pleasure to say at the end of this year that much of the blessing coming to my life and ministry is traceable to the studies. For all this, I thank you and the Lord Jesus. Pastor in Minnesota When the magazine arrives, I drop everything and begin meditating on the good things. Praise the Lord for the help I receive with each issue. Please keep me on the mailing list. A pastor in Canada Your writings and your studies in the Scriptures have been of untold benefit to me and have greatly enriched both mind and heart. I pray that God may long spare you to continue giving to His dear people these precious truths. We are always especially glad to hear of pastors and other Christian workers being helped. A sister in Australia writes, I do thank you for sending me the studies. My friend and myself have been helped through reading them. We do pray that God will bless the messages to all who read them. It makes one want to know more of His precious Word and to have His blessing in everything. A brother in Australia, the magazine's have come to hand regularly with their wealth of precious food for starving sheep. Soul-satisfying, heart-searching, doubt-dispelling, God-honoring portions. May the Holy Spirit continue His aid in the preparation of the articles. Another brother in Australia, your message has been an inspiration and blessing, and has helped me in many a dry place. Some things I found bitter to my taste, but most profitable as they worked in my heart and conscience. I refer particularly to the Scriptures and obedience. It was most searching. What blessing we miss through disobedience. Isaiah 48.18 is constantly in my mind as I think of these things. A brother in Holland. Last week, I made a special and prayerful study of your articles on repentance. 
And I do thank the God of all grace that he moved you to stress the subject, for there is an awful need for it. It has been a great blessing to my soul and, I believe, to every true child of God. The unfolding of this truth leadeth everyone who calls himself by the name of the Lord to soul exercise and to examine himself by the light of God's word, while at the same time deceitful natural feelings which still live within us get burnt up like the chaff. A brother in England We enjoyed your address on Matthew 7 very much. It is just the character of ministry that is so much needed today. A brother in Sweden. Thank you so much for sending me the magazine. It always brings me a real blessing. The articles on repentance have been of much help. A brother in Syria. Your magazine is very helpful for my spiritual life. These are representative of many more which might be quoted. May the reading of these few extracts evoke praise from many hearts and stimulate to further prayer that God will graciously enlarge the circulation of this magazine and condescend to use it more and more in blessing to his people. Yours in his happy service, Arthur and Vera Pink. Study number seven. It is finished. How terribly have these blessed words of Christ been misunderstood, misappropriated, and misapplied. How many seem to think that at the cross the Lord Jesus accomplished a work which rendered it unnecessary for the beneficiaries of it to live holy lives on earth. So many have been deluded into thinking that so far as their reaching heaven is concerned, it matters not how they walk, provided they are resting on the finished work of Christ. They may be unfruitful, untruthful, disobedient. Yet, though they may possibly miss some millennial crown, so long as they repudiate all righteousness of their own and have faith in Christ, they imagine they are eternally secure. All around us are people who are worldly-minded, money-lovers, pleasure-seekers, Sabbath-breakers, yet who think all is well with them because they have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. In their aspiration, conversation, and recreation, there is practically nothing to differentiate them from those who make no profession at all. Neither in their home life, business life, nor social life is there anything save empty pretensions to distinguish them from others. The fear of God is not upon them. The commands of God have no authority over them. The holiness of God has no attraction for them. It is finished. John 19.30 
how unspeakably solemn to realize that these precious words of Christ have been used of Satan to lull thousands into a false peace. Yet such is the case. We have come into close contact with many who have no private prayer life, who are selfish, covetous, dishonest, but who suppose that a merciful God will overlook all such things provided they once put their trust in the Lord Jesus. What a horrible perversion of the truth! What a turning of God's grace into lasciviousness, Jude 4. Yes, those who now live the most self-seeking and flesh-pleasing lives talk about their faith in the blood of the Lamb and suppose they are safe. How the devil has deceived them. It is finished. Do those blessed words signify that Christ so satisfied the requirements of God's holiness that that holiness no longer has any real and pressing claims upon us? Perish the thought. Even to the redeemed, God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 Did Christ magnify the law and make it honorable? Isaiah 42.21 That we might be lawless. Did he fulfill all righteousness, Matthew 3.15, to purchase for us an immunity from loving God with all our hearts and serving him with all our faculties? Did Christ die in order to secure a divine indulgence that we might live to please self? Many seem to think so. No, the Lord Jesus has left his people an example that they should follow, not ignore his steps. It is finished. What was? The need for sinners to repent? No, indeed. The need for turning to God from idols? No, indeed. The need for mortifying my members which are upon the earth? No, indeed. The need for being sanctified wholly in spirit and soul and body? No, indeed. Christ died not to make my sorrow for, hatred of, and striving against sin useless. Christ died not to absolve me from the full discharge of my responsibilities unto God. Christ died not so that I might go on retaining the friendship and fellowship of the world. How passing strange that any should think he did. Yet the actions of many show that this is their idea. It is finished. What was? The sacrificial types were accomplished. The prophecies of his sufferings were fulfilled. The work given him by the Father had been perfectly done. A sure foundation had been laid 
on which a righteous God could pardon the vilest transgressor of the law who threw down the weapons of his warfare against him. Christ had now performed all that was necessary in order for the Holy Spirit to come and work in the hearts of his people, convicting them of their rebellion, slaying their enmity against God and producing in them a loving and obedient heart. O dear hearer, make no mistake on this point. The finished work of Christ avails you nothing if your heart has never been broken through an agonizing consciousness of your sinfulness. The finished work of Christ avails you nothing unless you have been saved from the power and pollution of sin. Matthew one twenty one. It avails you nothing if you still love the world. First John 2.15 It avails you nothing unless you are a new creature in Him. Second Corinthians 5.17 If you value your soul, search the Scriptures and see for yourself. Take no man's word for it. Arthur Pink Study number 8 A Prayer for Faith We are taught by thy holy apostle, O most loving Savior, that whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and that it is impossible to please thee without faith. And therefore, they that come unto thee must believe that thou art God, yea, and such a God as is both able and will also abundantly reward all them that with true faith seek thee. For thy eyes, O Lord, look upon faith, and thou dost appear and show thyself unto them that have faith in thee. Yea, through faith, Thou, being the King of glory, art married to the souls of the faithful and makest them partakers of Thy divine nature through the wonderful working of Thy blessed Spirit. Through faith so many as believe are justified, made the sons and heirs of God, and have everlasting life. By faith we obtain of God all good things, even whatsoever we ask in thy name, seeing that faith is so precious a jewel in thy sight, that without it nothing is acceptable unto thy divine majesty, and we of our own nature cannot have this most singular treasure except thou givest it unto us from above, and dost breathe it into our hearts by thy Holy Spirit. For we of ourselves are blind, ignorant, foolish, and by no means can perceive the things that pertain to the Spirit of God. We most heartily beseech thee to take away from us all infidelity and unfaithfulness which we received of old Adam, and to plant in us true faith and undoubted belief that we may be thoroughly persuaded that Thou art the Son of the living God, very God and very man, 
our alone sweet-smelling sacrifice, our alone mediator, advocate, and intercessor, our alone wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, by whom alone and for whose sake only thy heavenly Father is well pleased with us, our sins are remitted, grace and everlasting life are freely given unto us. O Lord God, suffer us not to lean to our own wisdom, nor to believe as blind flesh fancieth, nor to seek salvation where superstition dreameth. But let our faith only be grounded on thy word, and give us grace truly to believe in thee with all our hearts, to put our trust in thee, to look for all good things of thee to call upon thy blessed name in adversity, and with joyful voices and more merry hearts to praise and magnify it in prosperity. Suffer us not to doubt neither of God thy heavenly Father, nor of thee, God his Son, nor of God the Holy Spirit, but earnestly to believe that you, being the distinct persons in the deity, are, notwithstanding, one very God, besides whom there is no God, neither in heaven nor in earth. Grant also that we may assuredly believe whatsoever is contained in the Holy Scriptures, and by no means suffer ourselves to be plucked from the verity thereof, but manly and steadfastly abide in the same, even unto death. Rage, world, roar, devil. And this faith, O Lord Jesus, increase thou daily in us more and more, that at the last, through thy goodness, we may be made perfect and strong men in thy holy religion, and show ourselves both before thee and the world truly faithful by bringing forth plenty of good works unto the glory and honor of thy name, which with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit livest and reignest, true God, worlds without end. Amen. Thomas Bacon, 1663 This concludes the July Studies. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, 
M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.